Welcome to the podcast of Rainbow Family Christian Center with Pastors Horace and Patricia Drumming. We would like to thank you for joining us today, and we pray that you are impacted, inspired, and encouraged by the Word of God. Let's check out today's message. Amen. God is good. All of the time. All of the time. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Father, we lift you and your name up right now, and we ask you, Lord, as we open our Bibles this day, enlighten us in our inner man. Help us, Lord God, to see what heaven wants us to see this morning. May we be responsive in doing what heaven wants us to do so that your kingdom comes and your will is being done here on the earth just like it is in heaven. And it's in Jesus' precious name we pray. Amen. Amen. And amen. Glory to God. Um, The Rainbow Family Christian Academy wants to uh, extend an invitation to all of the members. And I believe that all of the members, if you can, come and participate. Come, Come and see what's happening in your school here at Rainbow Family Christian Center. Um, it's graduation time. It's uh, coming to the end of the school year. And there's a ceremony that is taking place, award ceremony on June 12th, uh, 4 p.m. So if you can, mark your calendars, join us. You will be blessed by these children and the presentations and some of the recitations that they will be making concerning what the Lord has done in their lives. And we as the staff and members of uh, this church, I think it's very important for us to be here to support our children and let them know your labor for this school year has not been in vain. Amen? Amen. Glory to God. Many of you asked Sister Faith if um, uh, she had a t-shirt on a few uh, weeks back and you said, oh wow, we would like to get one of those and I think she um, said to you, I need to get your names, get your sizes and it's time to start ordering those shirts. Uh, see her at the end of the service today. Sister Faith, where are you? Come here visibly so people will know who I'm talking about when I say Sister Faith. Amen. So you see this young lady at the end of the service, and she'll help you to get one of those. And I, I think it's great um, for us to, as it were, advertise and let the world know that there's something good happening here. Amen. And I would that every member get a shirt. Every member let the world know that we have a wonderful school that is achieving at great levels of academics as well as the spiritual levels. And, you know, I was so blessed um, when I was asking the children about the fruit of the Spirit and boy, were they just rolling it off their lips. What God's fruit is and the type of character and the type of uh, demonstration and, uh, that we should be uh, presenting before the world and the society in which we live. Um, that's not happening in your public schools. As a matter of fact, many of you are realizing that your children are going through great amounts of trauma as a result of the pressure and all of the peer pressure that they are facing in the public schools. And I know that you think that it costs something, but I want you to think about what it costs when your children get lost because you didn't value or we didn't value the uh, investments that needs to be made in our children and I'm going you know next week and I'm uh, 
preaching at a church who the whole church started because of the education. They wanted the children first and foremost to know God. And then they began to build it around academics. This church is 181 years old. And I'm preaching at their anniversary service on Sunday, on this coming Sunday. Um, so as I'm letting you know, I won't be here next Sunday, but I will be in God's house. Uh, there will be a word coming from this pulpit, and I know it's going to be a blessed word for all of the men, the men and women here. But I think about the fact that when we look around our schools, our universities, and many of the churches that were started, Christian people, um, God was at the center of it all for us. Jesus and our focus and our knowledge of knowing that we can't do it. We can't live life like we're supposed to live without Jesus Christ. The world, in my prayer this morning in our 8.30 prayer time, which I pray that all of you will take some time as the days go forward and join in early morning prayer. I know you know that there's 5 a.m. prayer. Well, perhaps you say, well, I just didn't wake up. I set my alarm. Well, on Sunday morning, 8.30, then get up. Get into the prayer room with us. Get into the prayer room. In that prayer room, I was mentioning the fact that I believe that many nations, this nation included, has lost their moral compass. And God is trying to get us back to the heart of worship. We sing a song from time to time that says, I'm coming back to what? The heart of worship, where it's all about what? It's all about you, Jesus. That really is where all of us, society, needs to come back to the heart of worship. And sometimes people start out thinking that they are doing the will of God. We're going to look in our Bibles this morning at a man who started out that way, but he was lost. But he thought he was doing the will of God. And he found himself going through tough times. I struggle with trying to give a title to this message, but what came to my spirit was, tough times never last, but tough people do. Come on, anybody been through a tough time? Or you're in a tough time, and maybe you know you're about to face a tough time. Tough times don't last, but tough people do. And one of the people that we find in the Bible that helps us to see this concept is about a man by the name of Paul. And I'd like you to open your Bibles with me to Philippians chapter 4. Now, I want to start with chapter 3 because I want you to kind of get a glimpse, as it were, a thumbnail glimpse of this man named Paul. And he tells us, we don't have to guess about him, he tells us a little bit about himself. Some of the things that he's had to endure, the toughness or the tough times. But he will let you know that he thought he was doing the will of God. So in chapter 4 is where you're going to land at, and I'll give you the scriptures in a few minutes. But chapter 3 is where we want to start. And uh, Alfred, if you can assist me by bringing up chapter 3, I want to start in verse number 4. He says, Though I myself have reason for confidence in the flesh also, if anyone else thinks he has reason for confidence in the flesh, I have more. 
He says, I built many of my life attitude and uh, my value systems around the fact that I had been circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel. I was a member of the tribe of Benjamin. I was considered a Hebrew of Hebrews. And as to the law, I identified as being a Pharisee. As to zeal, he said, I was a persecutor of the church. As to righteousness, he said, all I saw was the law and I saw myself as being blameless. But, here's the transition. Whatever gain I had, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the unsurpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. For this sake, I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ. The righteousness from God that depends on faith, that I may know him, verse 10, that I might know him and the power of his resurrection and may share his suffering becoming like him in his death. Joseph Garlington uh, sings a song that I, I love and it's, saying, and it's entitled Knowing You. Joseph didn't write this song, but he just sings it so well. I just love his rendition of it. Knowing you, knowing you, Jesus. There is no greater thing. This is what Paul is saying. And Paul says, I started out thinking that I was doing something that pleased God, only to discover all I was doing was persecuting God. How many of you realize that when you persecute people, when you talk down, put down, all you're doing is persecuting, it, persecuting God? You think that your comments are just about persons, but God said, you're touching my anointing, and you're touching my anointed people, so you're touching God, Amen. not in a positive way. But God doesn't hate you. God loves you, and he wants you to get your act together just like he wanted Paul get your act together. And Paul, when he got his act together, in other words, he had an encounter with God. We know about that encounter. The book of Acts tells us a little bit about the fact that, hey, he met God in a way that he knew it was God. He was left in a condition that all he could say was, I realize that I've been going against God rather than flowing with God. How many of you want to go with God? Amen. Don't ever live your life where you're going against God. And so when the scales fell off of his eyes, because of the obedience of a man named Ananias who went down to a street called Straight, the Bible says, literally, Saul, eyes were so shut that he couldn't see anything. And a man went down there, 
to lay his hands on him. And this was something that happened in the physical as well as in the spiritual. His eyes were open. And he could see that he needed God. He could see that God loved everyone and he had been selective. In other words, he says, I just focus on one group of people, the Jews. But he realized that God loves a Gentile as much as he loves a Jew. How many of you know that God loves everybody? Folks, it's a matter of learning that God loves everybody and learning how to connect with people. You know, in cities all around the world right now, and even in our city, if you were to drive down to Washington, D.C., you would probably have a tough time navigating today because there are a number of parades. There are a number of activities that are associated with what's called gay pride. That is not a lifestyle that God will ever condone. However, there are many large sponsors and companies that are, some of them are in a little bit of pressure to start changing their ways, and, and, and some are going with the flow of <coughs> the culture. But I would say to you, never allow yourself to start going with the flow of culture. Allow yourself to keep flowing with the Christ that's in you. But never, ever has God given us an, a, 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 a green light to say, prosecute or persecute these people. All he's trying to say is, do you know how to love them? Do you know how to love them back to their senses? Do you know how to love them into the kingdom of God? And see, what Paul would tell us now as we get ready to go over into the fourth chapter is that you have to discover some things in life in order to be able to help people. See, a lot of times if you don't learn how to help people, you will be a part of the group that's hurting people. You will be a part of the group that's causing a divide rather than being a bridge over that divide. We've got to learn how to be that bridge over that divide because Paul is telling us in the very beginning, I was divided and I persecuted the church because I had my value system. I had my mindset. How many of you know you don't need your mindset? You need to get what? The mind of Christ on the matter. All of us are guilty of it. That's why the Bible says, do not be conformed to this world, but be you what? Transformed by what? The renewing of your mind. A lot of times we are always talking about what we're going to do with try to help change somebody else's mind, but God says, I might want to show you how to change some things in your mindset. There are certain things that all of us have that we are so used to, so accustomed to, and have probably have affirmation by other people that it was okay. And certainly Saul had some affirmation that what he was doing, because he says, I was a Hebrew of Hebrews. I was a Pharisee. My way of thinking was acceptable, at least in my little small circle. How many of you realize that you're going to have to learn how to get out of your small circle? Because we serve a big, big God and a God who loves everybody. 
You got to come out of the, what I call small thinking. And God wants you to think big. Tell your neighbor, think big. Say it again. Find another neighbor. Tell them, think big. God wants you to start thinking big. God wants you to be able to see how he can enlarge your territory and your influence over multitudes of people if you're just willing. Now, I ask you to turn to Philippians chapter 4. Go to verse 10. We're going to look at verses 10 through 20, and then we're going to pull out four concepts from that because Paul would tell us, I discovered some things. I discovered some things, and these things helped me to be even more effective as a witness for the Lord Jesus Christ. And as we start at verse 10 in chapter 4, it says, I rejoice, and we're reading from an English Standard Version after that. Uh, some of you picked up your Bibles and said, that don't, my Bible didn't quite read like that. I'm reading from an English Standard Version, an ESV. Verse 10 says, I rejoiced in the Lord greatly that now at length you have revived your concern for me. You were indeed concerned for me, but you had no opportunity. Not that I am speaking of being in need, for I have learned in whatever situation I am to be content. I know how to be brought low, and I know how to abound. In any and every circumstance, I have learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. I can do all things through him who strengthens me. Yet, it was kind of you to share my trouble. And you Philippians, yourselves know that in the beginning of the gospel, when I left Macedonia, no church entered into partnership with me in giving and receiving, except you only. Even in Thessalonica, you sent me help for my needs once and again. Not that I seek the gift, but I seek the fruit that increases to your credit. I have received full payment and more. I am well supplied, having received from Ephroditus the gifts you sent, a fragrant offering, a sacrifice acceptable and pleasing to God. In verse 19, and my God will supply every need of yours according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus. And finally, verse 20, to our God and Father be glory forever and ever. Amen. These are some very precious, precious passages in all of the Bible. We read our Bibles and we started to see so much of the goodness of God. When you get to this passage, it's very precious how Paul has made this transition in his life. He can see um, that this pessimist has become an optimist. He realized, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. 
He says, no matter how dark the cloud is, I can put a silver lining in it. How many of you realize that there's always a silver lining? The Bible says it like this, so that you might understand where I'm coming from. Where sin is, grace does much more abound. The problem is, most people want to focus on the sin or the darkness or the trouble and tough times. And God says, no, I want you to get your mind over onto something else. Remember, even in this book, he says, you're supposed to think on what's good, what's lovely, what's pure, what's just, what's of a good report. He says, think on these things, and you'll get the peace of God. You'll get the peace of God. And how many of you know the peace of God passes all understanding? It'll gird and guard your heart. It'll gird and guard your heart. And so God says, I just want to get your thinking in line with the thinking of God. And Paul kind of gives us a sense of, if you really want to be free, you're going to have to realize that your freedom can only come through Jesus. God can give you joy, unspeakable joy. God can build your self-esteem without ever tearing you down. God can turn every bit of discouragement into encouragement. Every bit of despair, God can turn it into delight. And what does he tell us? Delight yourself in the Lord. He's going to give you the desires of your heart. I want you to keep in mind that the man who wrote this passage of Scripture that we just read was going through tough times. I don't know if you realize that, but this passage of Scripture was written while he was in prison. Paul is in prison. And he's talking about being content. He's talking about having peace. He's not in a palace, folks. He's in a prison. Here's a man who has been unfairly treated, unjustly imprisoned. Here's a man who has been forsaken by so many people, forgotten about by so many people, but he realized, God has not forgotten me. Somebody shout, God has not forgotten me. Every now and then, if you get your focus on what people aren't doing for you, you might forget God never leaves you. God never forsakes you. God doesn't leave you comfortless. God is with us. God is with us. And if the, you know what the Bible says. If God is with us, then what? Who can be against us? Paul has a confidence about this. And he's gotten this confidence because he has learned, my God will supply. My God will supply. I don't have to beg for it. I don't have to lay awake crying and worrying about it. My God knows what I need. And he'll send what I need. How many of you know he's an on-time God? God will send what you need. And Paul is trying to get us to see. Verse 10, if you look at verse 10 of that same passage that we just read. Thank you. Look at what he said he did. I what? I cried. I murmured and complained. No, are you reading the same thing I'm reading? 
Let me put my glasses on, make sure I'm reading the same thing that you're reading. I told everybody how bad it is. Come on, are you really reading the Bible right now? Then I think you got it right. I think you are understanding why you hear scriptures like that said, Rejoice in the Lord. But somebody just died in my family. Rejoice in the Lord. I, I, I just lost my, jo my job, Pastor. You all want to stop talking to me now, huh? Do you understand what Paul is trying to tell us? I know some will say, Pastor, well, Paul didn't have to go through what I'm going through right now. I would dare tell you, you didn't have to go through what Paul went through. I don't know if anybody's ever taken you out into the public square and whipped you. He did it to him five times. Just trying to get him to shut up and not talk about Jesus anymore. And what did it do? Just made him stronger. It just made him stronger. It just caused him to get even louder about the message of Christ. How many of you realize that God's trying to get you to get stronger? God's trying to get you to get louder? God's trying to get you to get more consistent in your uplifting of his name. See, sometimes what the devil does is he fires as many fiery darts as he possibly can at you, hoping that he will shut you up, hoping that he will discourage you, hoping that you will just stop. But God says, when you take his whole armor, as Paul would tell us, you stand. No matter how many fiery darts come at you, you, know not, you now know how to quench them. Because you are living your life and walking your life by what? Faith, not by sight, not by the circumstance. He realized that the circumstances come to put you under. But God said, no, you're the head, not the tail. You are above, not beneath. Paul is convinced God is not going to leave me. God is not going to forsake me. People may forget me. People may forsake me. Some may walk away. Some I might not see ever again. But my God is with me always, even until the end of the earth. And so Paul is trying to help us to say, rejoice. Rejoice. I rejoice in the Lord, not just timidly. He says, I rejoice greatly. Anybody understand what he's trying to say? I, he said, if you thought David leaped and danced, I leaped and danced. I shouted. I magnified God. Come on, give God a shout, somebody in this house. Give God a shout of praise. Give God honor that is due his name. See, the devil wants you to keep your lips sealed. God wants you to open your mouth and open it wide and shout unto God with voices of triumph. Shout unto God with voices of praise. I greatly rejoice in the Lord. I know that my God, even though I might walk through valleys and shadows of death, I know that my God is with me. I know that my God will bring me through. I may be in tough 
tough time, perilous time, hard time, but my God brings me to green pasture. My God restores my soul. My God blesses me when I get up. My blood blesses me when I lay down. My God blesses me. And I am blessed like that. So I rejoice greatly. And he said, I didn't just do it for a short time. He said, I did it at length. So every now and then, people get a little tired of people praising God. He said, I did it at length. Folks, you can get revived when you praise God. You can get healed when you praise God. You can get delivered when you praise God. How many of you know when the praise goes up, the blessings start to come down. God blesses you. God surrounds you with favor like a shield. God is good. God is good. He said, I didn't focus on how I've been treated. I didn't focus on the fact that I'm in prison. I focus on the fact that I'm clothed in Christ. I focus on the fact that I'm blessed. Blessed when I come in. Blessed when I go out. Blessed in the city. Blessed in the field. I focus on my blessing. I don't focus on the cursing. I focus on my Jesus. I don't focus on the devil. No matter how tough it may seem, tough times don't last. But tough people do. And so you ask yourself, then why could Paul have this kind of disposition? I don't know if you know, a little history tells us that Paul was chained to a Roman soldier. Death was staring him in the face. His situation says there is no light at the end of the tunnel. And yet Paul said, I am deliriously happy. I am happy in the Lord. How could it be like this? Look at verse 12 with me again. Chapter 4, verse 12. Look at it. It says... This is how I got my disposition like this. I know how to be brought low. I know how to abound. In any and every circumstance, I have learned. I have learned the secret of facing plenty, hunger, abundance, and need. Do you understand that Paul says that I, 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 I've discovered the secret? Now, years ago, and I've talked about this very openly, years ago on the Oprah Winfrey show, somebody introduced a book called The Secret. It sold millions of co copies on the very day. Any book that Oprah would, would endorse, it would just sell millions of copies. And, million, and people started picking up this book and saying The Secret. Folks, The Secret wasn't taking you back to Christ. Not that book. This book when it talks about the secret, it's saying you've discovered how great your God is. You've discovered how great Jesus is. Not that you can do anything, but Christ in you. Christ in you. Christ in you. And so Paul began to start to focus on the Christ that was in him. He says, I've learned the secret. I've learned this secret. 
I've learned both to be full and to be hungry. I've learned this secret. It's a valuable secret, folks. That's why you need to be full of the Holy Ghost. That's why you need to be full of the Word. That's why we need to be meditating in the Word day and night. That's why we need to be observing to do the Word. And the Bible says, and then you'll make your way prosperous. You'll have good success. Paul is telling you, I've learned how to, to persevere under pressure. It's tough times. Our nation is going through tough times. You can go from across the globe and you'll realize that every nation is under pressure right now. But he says, look, I learned how to have joy while I'm in jail. How many of you know you would hear in the book of Acts about him and Silas being in a place together. Jail again. Yep, Paul was a jailbird. But every time he got in jail, what did he learn how to do? Start praising God. Anybody remember that when he and Silas start praising God, what would happen? Come on. There was a whole lot of shaking going on. Elvis hadn't even discovered that yet. Whole lot of shaking started happening. Prison doors started opening. People that weren't saved got saved. Prison guard who was in fear that what's going to happen to me, he said, what's going to happen to you is going to change your life eternally. And he and his whole household got saved that day. But this was the secret. Folks, I don't know if you've gotten this first point. You're, the secret that you need to learn how to do is to praise God. Why do you think that God would say something like, let everything that has breath Praise should be what? Continually in your mouth. If you want to know how to get through tough times, that's your starting point. Start with praise. Do you understand that God said, enter into his gates with what? Thanksgiving. Come into his courts with what? Pray. Sometimes we don't want to praise God. We want to lay and wallop in the problem. And God says, get up and praise me. Get up and start shouting. Get up and start rejoicing. Get up and start declaring and decreeing. What does the word of God say about my situation? You don't hear Paul talking about, I was clinging on the, the cell of the jail, trying to get the guard to give me uh, 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 my first phone call. He said, my first call was made to God and I didn't need wireless or wired. I just needed to be in him. How many of you know God hears you? There are no bad cell points for God. I've been in the areas where I've lost all cell connectivity. You know, anybody know what I'm talking about? You stand in a little place. You know you can't move. I, oh, I, got, I finally got three bars, Miss Pat. Don't move. Well, God lets you in him live and move and have your being, and you don't get disconnected. You don't get, get disconnected. We were traveling down 85. She was, my wife was on the phone on I Interstate 85. We were somewhere in Virginia, I believe, and, and there's lots of pine trees and lots of, uh, of cover, and she was talking to someone, and all of a sudden it just went out. And I laughed. My wife keeps calling people's names, and I said, they ain't there, baby. You know, how, how some of you, when you're disconnected and you're still calling the person's name, it's like, 
hang it up. But see, when you call on the name of the Lord, you don't ever get disconnected from God. When the enemy comes in and tries to disconnect you from God, you are not disconnected from God. God has not left you. God has not been cut off. God will not be cut short. Let me tell you these four wonderful things because we got to move on. Lord have mercy. Uh, Dr. Parson keeps messing with the clock in the morning when she comes in. I think she kind of speeds it up or something. Number one is this. I'm going to give you these four things so that you don't say, Pastor, you told us four things. You got the two things. I'll give you all four, and, and, and the Holy Spirit will help you figure it out if I don't get to all four. Number one was this. What did Paul, what is some of the secrets that he learned? How to rest in the peace of God. Here's why, what I want to say about this. Number one, rest in the peace of God. You notice that most of the time when a person dies, people put a, a, a RIP there, which indicates what? Rest in peace. Do you know God wants you to rest in peace while you're alive? God wants you to rest in peace while you're alive. And so that's what Paul learned to do. He learned how to rest in the peace of God. That's number one. Here's the second thing that I discovered from these verses in chapter 4, verses 10 through 20. He reckons with the power of God. Everybody say reckon. R-E-C-K-O-N, if you're wondering what I'm talking about. Now, that's an accounting term. Reckon means that I I'm calculating, I'm reconciling, I'm making sure that it all adds up. And Paul said, I, 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 it all adds up. I prove God. I found that God, every, every, you, can, you can cross every T, you can dot every I with God. God is not slack concerning his promises. So what he did, did in here, he said, I reckon with the power of God. God's power will never fail. Just like the day we're going to receive communion. God, we know the blood never loses its power. Amen. And Paul reckoned with this power of God that he had. Here's the third thing. Paul learned to rely on the provision of God. Remember, my God shall supply all of your needs according to what? His riches. He said, I didn't send out letters and, 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 and petitions to people. I just believe that my God would supply it. I didn't use tactics or tricks. I didn't use anything other than my faith in God. How many of you know you can have faith in God? If God gives you a witty invention or a creative idea, use it. But you don't have to try to come up with a scheme. All you need to do is just simply lean on Jesus. So he said, I, I learned how to rely on the provisions of God. We're talking about, yes, you can have tough times. But tough times don't last. Tough people do. And Paul is a tough man. He learned some things, and we're going through some of these things that he learned. Number one, what was it? Rest in the peace of God. Number two, what was it? Reckon with the power of God. Number three, what was it? Rely on the provision of God. Number four would be what? 
Rejoice in the praise of God. Rejoice in the praise of God. In other words, let his praise continually be in your mouth. So Paul is telling us when it comes to resting in the peace of God, here's what he's trying to say. Good times and bad times, just rest in the Lord. Don't try to lean to your own understanding. Folks, every time you're going through a rough time, <coughs> it doesn't necessarily mean that you're sinning. A lot of people say, oh, they're going through that because, oh, they must have been doing this. God's punishing them. God ain't punishing nobody. There's a time where the devil is trying to destroy your life. I don't know if you know that. The, the devil is an accuser of the brethren. You got accused last night while you were sleeping. The devil could really summarize your day and say, well, they didn't do this today, Lord. They didn't do that today, Lord. Come on. Do you know you did more for God than the devil did? Somebody say Jesus. Jesus. See, if you are of the devil, you can't even say that name. You did more for God than the devil has ever did. And he just wants you to think that you're worthless, that you're useless. Paul said, look, I don't care if I'm poor or prosperous. I can praise God. I can praise God. He said, look, if you're in poverty or if you're in plenty, you still have something to praise God for. It kind of reminds me of a story of a man who was meeting with this person who was very scientific, very well educated, lots of alphabets in front of their name. And he was talking about the crossing of the Red Sea. He said, it is virtually impossible for human beings to have crossed the Red Sea. He said, if they did, if they did, it was a time of the tides moving in a certain time of day that it would have been a very limited amount of water. Matter of fact, he said, if they crossed at that particular time, the water would have only been about ankle or knee deep. And so possibly they crossed the Red Sea at the proper time of the tide moving back. And he had this man who is trying to convince, your God is not as great as you say he is. But the man started rejoicing. Come on, anybody. The man started rejoicing. He said, what are you rejoicing about? I just have already proved to you that they couldn't have crossed the Red Sea with all of that water baking up. They crossed, and he said, well, if my God can drown an army in ankle-deep water, I got something to praise my God about. God is greatly to be praised. Praise the Lord at all times, and let that praise continually be in your mouth. Don't let nobody steal your joy. Do you understand that if you don't let the devil steal your joy, he can't steal your goods? The only reason that the devil can steal your good is because he stole your joy. You stop rejoicing. You stop praising. You stop shouting and the rejoicing in the Lord. And God said, let that praise of God continually be in your mouth. But this has attacked my body. Attack it back. 
Do you understand? God says, I will trouble your trouble. I love a God like that. Well, that's back in the equivalent of the day. If you mess with me, you don't have to mess with my bigger brother. How many of you know you got a big brother in Jesus? Bigger than the whole world. Do you remember? Goliath was pretty big. But David said, you ain't seen my God, have you? He's much bigger. And gave David a what? A great victory that day. God, say victory. victory. Say it again, victory. victory. Say it, shout it again, victory. victory. Keep that shout among you, church. There must be a shout among God's people so that the enemy will continually be reminded there is a king among them. Say it. There is a king among us. And the Bible says he's king of kings. Folks, if you're wondering what I'm referencing, in the Bible, there was a battle going on. The army of Israel is greatly outnumbered. However, they hear a shout from the camp of the Israelites. And the enemy says concerning them, I don't think we want to continue in this battle because there must be a king for them to be shouting that lie. How many of you really have ever went to a sport game and the fans stopped cheering for their team? I know y'all thinking Washington, but... This is a team that you don't stop cheering for. Look, some people stopped cheering when they saw Jesus on the cross. Some people started walking away from Golgotha, or Calvary as we know it, because they thought our team is losing. How many of you have ever seen people who left out of the stadium and they thought their team was losing only to find out when they read the newspaper or heard the radio station, our team came back. Our team won. Our team got the victory. Come on, say, we got the victory. I don't care how down it looks, how tough it looks, we will get a victory. You will get a victory. God has never lost a battle and he never will. So if you're going through a battle, just know you've got a God who can guide you. And Paul said, rest in peace. Rest in peace is not just for people that are dead, for people who are alive. People who get real satisfied with the presence of God. How many of you know what happens when you get into the presence of God? The Bible says fullness. Fullness of what? That's why you should always focus on getting into the presence of God. We are supposed to have learned from Adam and Eve. What were they trying to do when trouble and rough times came? They were trying to flee from God, hide from God, cover themselves up in things that God didn't tell them to cover themselves in. Cover yourself in Christ. Cover yourself in the whole armor of God. Don't try to cover yourself with things that you think will please people. You just stay with what God told you to do. You keep speaking what God told you to speak. You keep living like God told you to live. In him live and move and have your being. He's just 
Paul says, I just got satisfied with the presence of the Lord. I got satisfied. My happiness was not dependent on what other people were doing or not doing. Some of you think your happiness is attached to what other people do. You are falsely and sadly mistaken. Your joy, this joy, if you got joy, this joy that you have, the world didn't give it. And the world can't take it away. Your husband didn't give it. Your wife didn't give it. Your children didn't give it. God gave it. And you keep it. You hold fast. The devil is trying to snatch stuff from people of God. And God says, you hold fast. You hold fast to what I've given you. And that's what Paul said. I just learned how to be satisfied. This is what when he would say, I've learned to be content. See, sometimes we feel like this has to be happening, this has to be happening, this has to be happening, and then I'll get to happy. Mm -mm. If that's what you're waiting to come into, all of the, the stars to come into alignment, <laughs> you ain't going to never be happy. Jesus has come. And he says, I've come that your what? Your joy might be full. Come on, somebody say, Jesus has come. And if you understand why Jesus came, that he came that your joy might be full. So that's why you can rejoice. And Paul says, I discovered that secret. That's how I can stay in peace. That's how I can rest in peace. Things don't satisfy, folks. Some people think that if I can get things, 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 I will be satisfied. How many of you realize you've gotten a lot of things? Some of you got more clothes than you could ever deal with. And you need to give them away too, though. You can't even get in your closet because you got too many things. Some of you can't even move around your house because you got too many things. Some of you can't even get into your garage because you got too many things. Things don't satisfy. Things don't satisfy. The Bible says they get dust on them. They get moth on them. They start to rust. Things don't satisfy. Only you can satisfy, Jesus. And Paul says, I discovered that. What satisfied me? What keeps me satisfied? In my relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. As many of us need to take inventory of some, sometimes of all that we have. I, I, you know, every now and then you go, I, I'm, I'm guilty of it too. Every now and then I'll say, well, I don't have nothing to wear. Closet just full of stuff. I don't know what shirt I'm going to wear. More shirts than I can shake a stick at. What shoes I'm going to wear? You can't even find the shoes. Even when you put them back in the box and say, oh, put them back in the box and stack them in, you don't even know which pair to get. Oh, I forgot to cut the hole. Oh, I forgot to put the name on what your shoe is. And I don't feel like going down 10 down deep to find the one that I think I want to wear. You got more stuff than you need. More stuff than you need. And, and sometimes saying, I need more, I need more, I need more, I want more. God, give me more. God, that, that, that was a man... If I could tell you a story, he, he was dissatisfied with his farm. He decided, I want to go on to a bigger and 
and, and to some better things. You know, we have that kind of expression. I want to go to something bigger and better. So he decided to put his farm on the market. He gave it to a real estate salesman, and, and the real estate salesman called him up and said, I, I want to read to you the, the advertisement that I'm going to put in the paper concerning your property. And the man said, all right, let me hear it. And the salesman said, this is how he was describing this piece of property. He says, a beautiful farm for sale, 250 acres of rolling hills, fertile valleys, quiet streams, and the climate is excel all year round. There is fertile land for any crop. There's a beautiful two-story house on this property. Three barns in excellent condition. And wonderful, loving, caring neighbors. And after he finished, the farmer said, read that back to me one more time. And the salesman indeed read it back. And the man said, I've been looking for a place like that all my life. <laughs> Take it off the market. See, sometimes, folks, you've got everything that you need right now. And sometimes we're looking. John D. Rockefeller was asked one time, how much more would be enough for you? And he said, a little bit more. See, sometimes we never get to a place where we realize that God has supplied everything that we need, and we're still asking for what? A little bit more. And this is why God said, what would then it profit anyone, anyone, to get all of the world riches, but not be focused on what was the most important thing concerning heaven, your soul? Paul said, I've learned a secret. I, I've learned how to be content with what God gave me. The reason that God gives you what he gives you is because he wants you to start using what he has. How many of you would put more food on your child's plate that hadn't eaten what you already put on their plate? Because the child would say, give me some more. Give me some more. Anybody ever done that? Child ever asked for more? And then we have this expression, oh, your eyes look bigger than your stomach. You all know what I'm talking about. And sometimes our eyes, we're walking by what we see. We're not walking by faith. And Paul says, I've learned a secret. Just walk by faith. Learn how to rest in peace. Learn how to just be at peace with what God has given you. When God has, you know, faith, I have to ask for permission. Come here. I, I was, yesterday we had a uh, leaders meeting and, and I was asking the leaders, we started off our meeting and saying, let's share some of our success stories. What has God been doing for us? What are some of the success stories that God has been doing in your life? Some of us call them testimonies, but they're success stories. It's how God has made us successful, things that God has done. And, and faith took me back to 2003? 2006. 2006, okay, three years Two, two, four back. 2006. Um, uh, let me grab your mic. Ah, great. Give her a mic. 
tell, tell this congregation your success story. Okay, good morning, everyone. <laughs> um, yes, thank you, Jesus. Uh, I, as Pastor No, or was going to tell you guys, in 2006, I was graduating from grad school, and I needed a car. And so um, I asked Pastor, would you come with me to help me buy one? <laughs> Not to pay for it, but just to feel like I had, because my dad had uh, passed away a couple years prior, and Pastor has always been a, a dad to me. And so I just felt like I needed a dad, you know, there, a man, right? Uh, some women might be able to relate. You feel like people try to take advantage of you. So um, anyway, but I, I went to... Um, you know, I, I knew what I wanted, and I wanted something practical, but I still wanted it to be nice. And so I bought uh, a 2003, so that's where the 2003 comes from, Honda Accord, and it lasted me. I paid it off in, I don't know, three years maybe. Um, no kids and, you know, wasn't married, so I just paid it off real quick. And in 2009, I was paid off, and so I had all these years with no car payment. My car ran so nicely. But the last year or two, it um, started to become uh, <laughs> more of a bother than a blessing. Um, and I just kept telling myself, I'm grateful for this car, Lord. I'm grateful for this car. But Father God, if you see fit to bless me with another one, I will be grateful for that one too. <laughs> and I always have wanted a um, Honda Pilot because, you know, I have boys and they're growing. And I wanted um, space. We were renting cars every time we'd go on a family trip because we wouldn't have enough space for the family and our luggage and whatever else. And it just was becoming too costly, the repairs. And I said, God, I don't want another car payment. I don't know what to do. I, you know, I'd take my car to be appraised. And they're like, oh, we'll give you a couple hundred for it. I'm like, a couple hundred? I mean, I know it's 20 years old, but a couple hundred dollars? You know, what am I going to do with that? So anyway, I just felt led. Um, and I talked to my husband. He was like, I don't know why you haven't gotten a new car already, you know. So I'm like, okay, I have his permission because uh, I need agreement. And so I just was like, okay, I feel like I need to be, I need to go out and get it. This is the time. And so praise God, he led me to a, another place. They gave me 2000 towards um, uh, for my, my old car. And um, the car that I bought was, they had priced it lower than the Kelly Blue Book value. It runs great. It's, um, you know, still used. I don't buy brand new cars, but it's only three years old. And I'm just so grateful because God truly worked out the financing, the payment, the just everything. He worked it out and gave me a piece that I knew that it was from him and not me um, stepping out uh, ahead of him. So I just say thank you, Jesus, for, for that blessing. Amen. Thank you for sharing that. Here's what I don't want you to lose in the midst of what she shared. How long did she keep the car? And a lot of you, you run through them every two years. Like, I need some. No, you don't. You just want it. You just want it. And Paul says, when you start learning how to be content, now if God needs you to go get something different, he'll bless you with how to go get something different. He will. I, I, I relate to Faith's story in our own testimony. Um, uh, you know, um, a couple of Sundays from now, we're going to have a guest minister here. His name is Pastor Stephen Ritold. 
And he's going to come and preach our Father's Day message for us. It's going to be awesome. You're going to be truly blessed by Pastor Stephen. He and his wife, Lee, are going to come. They'll get here. But I remember going to pick up our good friend and uh, minister in the Lord, uh, uh, Pastor Enoch Satima. And I will never forget. Um, I said to Miss Pat, I said, I, I just need, I think you need to wait, and I'll just pick them up because I don't know how much luggage they'll have. And I can remember having a car that I thought would be suffice. Well, this, do you understand when missionaries come from overseas, they don't come with just one bag? And my, a lot of times when they are here, they buy more bags. Because it's actually cheaper to fly it back with them than to ship it over. I can remember the massive price that I had to pay one time trying to ship Bibles over to Johannesburg, South Africa. It was costly. FedEx was out of the question. And so I went to pick them up, and they had big bags. This is back in the day of 70 pounds versus 50. Do you understand how much 70 pounds is in a suitcase? Anybody remember them days of 70-pound suitcases? I found out how burdensome that is when I went on my first cruise, thinking that Miss Patty and I was just going to be so fly. She had 70 pounds, I had 70 pounds, until you had to go find those 70 pounds when you got off that ship. Oh, Lord. <laughs> but Enoch and his wife Sarah comes, comes out of the airport. We go down the baggage. He says, oh, that's mine. And I went, ooh. <laughs> oh, huge. He says, that's ours. Woo, huge. And I'm thinking, let's go, because they already have their carry-on with them. And he says, no, <laughs> we got two more. And they were just as big. Here's the story. I go in, we go out into the parking garage at BWI, try to put all this in, my in, in the car. It just won't even fit in the trunk. I am so glad that Miss Pat didn't come with me that time. Man, we had to stack it in the back seat. And I will never forget, Sarah, I look at her now and I laugh. She and I laugh about that because she's got a couple of bags in her lap. We, I can hardly even see her because we got so many bags. And that's when the Lord spoke to me about, I want you to buy vehicles that will support what you need to do in ministry. A lot of you don't realize why I drive a truck. It's a nice one, though. But I can put a lot of luggage in there. And they can ride really comfortable. You say purpose. Everything that God wants you to get has purpose behind it. Not just because it looks good. Everything that you, in the, especially going in the days ahead, everything that you acquire in your life, make sure you're acquiring it because it has a God-connected purpose to it. Don't just do things, folks, to be keeping up with the Joneses. Make sure you're keeping up with the voice of God. Hebrews 13, verse 5. We won't turn there, but you, you just listen. He says, let your conduct be without covetousness, and be content with such things as you have. For he him, himself has said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. So just like faith, when God knew she needed another vehicle, after 20 years, he says, here. I'm going to give you the best. I'm going to give you God's price. I'm going to give you God's best in this situation. God will always give you his best. But what he's giving you 
He's giving you for purpose. It has purpose behind it. I want to say this. It is far better to have God than to have gold. Everybody say that with me. It is far better to have God than to have gold. Some people are just after money, after stuff, after things. And God said, seek ye first the kingdom, the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And know what? God will add all the other things that you have, what? Need of. So Paul said, I've learned how to do just that. I've learned how to just rest in the peace of God. Be content with the things that God has given me. The second thing I told you is that after he learned how to rest in God's peace, he said, I learned how to reckon on the power of God. Verse 13 is where he lands this point for me. By simply saying, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. I heard this story. A pastor friend of mine was just sharing with me. He talked about a story of two drunks who were in a hotel. And one of them jumped out of the window to his death. And when the police got there, he asked the other drunk, why did the man jump out of the window? He said, um, well, he was drinking, and he thought he could fly around the building. The police said, well, why didn't you? Why didn't you stop him? He said, I thought he could do it too. <laughs> See, folks, you got to hang with people. <laughs> that won't condone you jumping out of windows and jumping over cliffs. You remember how the devil told Jesus, jump over a cliff? You need people in your life that are going to reinforce you with the things of God, the word of God. Some of you got some really flaky friends that you're still trying to hang with. Paul is saying one of the secrets to keeping your joy, one of the secrets uh, of keeping your peace, one of the secrets behind being able to come out of tough time is to make sure that you are being reinforced with words that help lead you to victory, not words that cause you to do foolish things. Just recently, and I'm sure some of you have heard this news article, a teen was on a cruise ship, and his friends dared him to jump off. He had just finished high school, was a star baseball player. This is at midnight on a cruise ship with their parents, but young people just kind of hanging out. He jumped off of a moving cruise ship. Cameras are visible on the ship, and it looks like immediately when he jumps off, sharks. The Coast Guard has already called off the search after several days. This is not something I'm fictitiously making up. See, sometimes your friends will get you to do 
stupid things. Folks, I'm talking to some young people. I'm talking to some of you old people. Don't say you ain't old. You are. I'm old. I don't care how much, you know, somebody, my nephew said to me, Uncle, are you going to color it a little bit? I said, why? That is who I am. Matter of fact, his was grayer than mine. So I was like, why, why you don't color yours? I said, me to color mine. We are where we are. It's okay to be who you are. This is one of the things that Paul is trying to say to people. I've learned how to be content in where I am. I've learned how to be content with the age that the Lord has blessed me and the days that he's given me. I'm not ashamed. I say, I am not ashamed. Never be ashamed of who you are in God. Never be ashamed of your age. But don't let your friends take you down avenues and ways that take you away from God. Think about your friends. When's the last time your friend talked to you about Jesus? See, real good friends. You know, there's a slogan that says, friends don't let friends drive drunk. Anybody ever heard that expression? Well, friends don't let friends go to hell. Friends do not let friends go to hell. They tell them about Jesus. Helen Baylor wrote a song years ago, Can You Reach My Friend? It tells that same story. It reaches out into that same type thought, line of thought. Can you reach my friend? Folks, we've got to reach our friends. These are the first people of influence that God puts in your life. And some of us, we don't understand why God put that person in our life. Sometimes we're looking for the boyfriend-girlfriend thing. God said, I, that, wasn't it. that was not the reason I put that person in your life. I put that person in your life so you can help them to get to Christ. And yes, there are some times that God puts people together. And you will know that. But the first thing that he puts you together for is to acknowledge God. Why did he put Adam with Eve? Or Eve with Adam, if you want to flip it. So that they could what? Relate to each other and relate to God. The friends that God's trying to put in your life, you're supposed to be influencers. Not them influencing you away from God. And Paul understood this. You don't want a friend that talking about, yeah, we, we got high together and he thought he could fly. Why didn't you stop him? I thought he could fly too. No, 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 no. You can do all things through Christ who strengthens you. I hear people from time to time that say, Pastor, I can't stop doing this. Yes, you can. Your want to has got to be fixed, though. Paul wanted to do everything that pleased God. He stopped doing things that just pleased himself. You want to do the things that please God. How many of you want to be God pleasers? Raise your hand. In order to do that, you're going to have to rely on the provisions of God, though. You're going to have to rely on the provisions of God. And God will supply what you need in order to quit what you need to quit. There's nothing that's so addictive that's greater than the love of Christ. The Bible, remember the Bible says, what could separate you? What could separate you? And he went, goes through uh, 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 several generations of saying, 
could it be something so high, something so wide, something so low? What could separate us from the love of God? And the answer to every one of those questions should be nothing. Nothing. What will be impossible with God? What should the answer be? Nothing. Is it impossible for me to quit drinking? No. Is it impossible for me to quit smoking? No. Is it impossible for me to quit doing whatever that immoral behavior is? No. Paul says, I've learned a secret. I rest in Christ. I rely on those provisions that's coming from Christ. I have reconciled some things, and I know I'm redeemed. And as the redeemed of the Lord, we are then to just keep saying so. Sometimes I find that people want partiality. God is a God of completion. I just want part of God. God is basically saying, all or none. Hot or cold. You cannot come to God with a lukewarm presentation. God wants all of you. Say, he wants all of me. Say it again. He wants all of me. God wants all of you. That's why songs like I Surrender All speak of people who have made a decision. And Paul is one of these persons who made a decision that he was going to surrender all. On the night that Jesus was going to be betrayed, all he was trying to get people to do would surrender everything to him. He said, you're going to give out the face some tough times. You're going to have to be fully committed. Judas is one of those there, and Judas is not at all committed. He is not at all committed. His mind is somewhere else. His thoughts are on other things. He wants gold and not God. To be more specific, he wanted 30 pieces of silver. You've got to be focused. And Jesus was instituting something very sacred called communion, which we are about to receive. Trying to get people to realize you've got to keep remembering what the Lord has done for you. And when you remember what the Lord has done for you, you remember this. He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. He doesn't change. The Bible says there's even not a shadow of turning a change with God. You can depend on him to be faithful. All he's trying to get you to be just like him. Faithful. Faithful. Faithful to the end. Paul said, then rejoice in him. Trouble comes. Struggles come. But they don't last. Jesus was trying to help his disciples to see that very night. Trouble is coming. But it's not going to last. In three days, I'm going to get back up. This will be torn down. It will look like all has been lost. But don't walk away from God. Don't make a decision that somehow God doesn't hear me. God doesn't see me. God doesn't know what I'm going through. Yes, he does. 
and God will bring you through. What does God want you and I to do? If we go back and remember Paul, before he became Paul, he was called Saul, and he said, I was doing some wicked stuff. I was zealous about the wicked stuff that I was doing and thought I was right. But I took a look at myself. I took a look at myself. Close your eyes. Look at yourself. Have you been living holy? Have you been living godly? Morally, spiritually being led by God rather than by your flesh. And God said, look, even if you haven't, ask me to forgive you. And I am faithful and just to do just that, forgive you. I've come to the conclusion you know, in two years, the Lord willing, we will have served this church for 30 years as pastors. You know, one of the biggest struggles that I find as pastors is that people do not forgive. They think that they can continue to live and say that I'm Christian, but yet they don't forgive. The Bible says, how can you keep saying you love God who you can't see, can't touch, and there are people that you can reach and you can touch? Now, let me just say this. There are some people that you reach out to who will reject you. And the Bible says if you have done your part to reach out and they reject, then shake the dust off and keep moving in the things of God. But examine yourself. Examine yourself. And ask, have I done all that God has required of me to do? And if you have not, ask God to forgive you. So, Father, we will not take this cup and this bread lightly. Too much has been paid for our liberty. Too much has been shed so that we might be free. And God, you set us free. And you intend for us to live free. Free from guilt. Free from pain. Free from whatever the situation or circumstance it is, knowing that I can be content because I'm right with my motives, my actions. What I did in word, what I did in deed, I did it to the glory of God, not to the downfall of anyone, not to the disgrace of my God. And to God be the glory. I gladly and reverently receive these sacraments, these things that are considered sacred as I remember 
the price that was paid for my liberty. Ushers are coming through the aisle. They're going to be offering you the opportunity to take communion with us today. Those of you that are viewing with us and live streaming with us, we'd ask you simply from resources at your home, grab a hold of a cup, grab a hold of that morsel that you can partake of as a part of the body, that cup that you can drink from that represents the blood of Jesus Christ. And as we take this today, we're reminding ourselves and putting ourselves in remembrance. Yes, we may have faced or may be facing or perhaps will be facing tough times, but we need to be tough people. You remember the same guy Paul would say to a spiritual son, Timothy, I want to teach you how to endure hardness. He was trying to tell us right up front, every now and then you'll face some hard times. I don't know how you perceive the 23rd Psalm, but that passage when I get through there and it says, yea, do I walk through the valley and the shadow of death. Folks, nothing can get you that close to you except, I mean, do you understand how close your shadow is? Have you ever, some of us have not looked at our shadow in a while. If you're standing here, I can see my shadow. And he says, that's how close death can get to you. But he also reminded me, it can't hurt you. It can't hurt you. Tuesday. This has not happened to me ever, but I could barely close my hands Tuesday. I don't know what was attacking my body. I don't even care because I know God has healed me. But I was, I've learned by the Spirit of God, press, press. I, I watched my wife, and I think everybody that she came in contact with, she said, get past it to go home. But everything, and I share it with her, I said, but the Spirit of God told me to get up this morning. On Monday, I didn't move. Memorial Day, I did not move. I, I love my wife, and she... I think she's better than Florence Nightingale because I'm telling you, if you ever wanted somebody just, just to care for you, to cook for you, I, I, I mean, she, she made sure I stayed hydrated. I drank more tea than I remember at the Boston Tea Party. <laughs> Honey, thank you, Pat. She cooked. She, she did everything. My body was just, I mean, it was like it shut down. It, didn't, it wasn't going to move Monday. I didn't even get out of my pajamas on Monday. It was all day in the bed. But Tuesday, the Spirit of the Lord woke me, awakened me and said, get up. Let's move. How I many of you know if God says, let's move, move. Move, because God's moving you. But I realized that I'm now preparing, and as you would say, cleansing and or attempting to cleanse your body hands won't close. 
And immediately a thought comes, and the thought was this, arthritis. Do you understand? There are certain things that the devil tries to come to your mind, and if you get in agreement, you open the door for it to happen. And immediately the word came to me, by stripes, you're healed. And I remember coming in, there are things that had to be lifted, and I said, I can't, can't get a grip. I'll just scoop it with my arms. But somewhere around 10, 10.30, I realized that I didn't even know it had happened. My hands were moving. I was in motion. Folks, sometimes you walk out of whatever the attack is. Yea, though I walk through what? Valley. Walk through. Everybody say, walk through. through. Communion should remind you that you're going to walk through this. Whatever that trouble is, whatever that struggle is, whatever that trial is, whatever that situation is, God is telling you, my blood has been shed for you. My body has been pierced for you. And by my stripes, you're healed. And you need to remember that. I won't sugarcoat this. The devil will attack you. The devil will attack you. Let's say he won't win. Because like Paul, we know the secret. What's the secret? I'm going to praise him. Whatever situation I'm in, I've learned to be content. Why? My God will supply that need. What did I need? I needed flexibility. I needed the usability of my hand. And God did that. But I want you to know this. He doesn't love me more than he loves you. He loves us all. Say, I'm loved. loved. Say it again, I'm loved. Say it one more time. I'm love. Now thank him that you're love. Thank God that you're love. Thank God that he loves you. He loves you. Yes, Jesus loves you. By his stripes, you are healed. If you had an opportunity to open these little cups, I have a tendency to cut my nails frequently, and I know if you're like me, I have a little difficult every now and then opening these little things, but I hope you've gotten them open. Those of you at home, I hope you've been able to get some elements that can help you join in with this time that we are celebrating now. This bread represents his body. That's what Jesus told us. It represents his body that was sacrificed for you. God, we want to thank you for the sacrifice that was made. We want to thank you for laying down your life so that we might have life and have it more abundantly. We thank you. Receive the bread together in Jesus' name. He indeed is the bread of life. He is the bread of life. The Bible says in a like manner he took the cup and he gave it to his disciples and he says this cup represents my blood and it's very key for you to understand the word represents 
Because every now and then people will tell you, well, that's the actual blood of Jesus. No, it's not. It came from a grape. But it represents. It represents the blood of Christ. And so, Father, we thank you that your blood was shed and the Bible says, this is how we overcome now. By your blood, what we will testify to others about what you have done for us. So this morning, we want to thank you for what you have done for us. We receive the blood and remind ourselves that we've been washed and made whiter than snow because of the blood of Jesus. Take the cup together in Jesus' name. He became sin Who knew no sin That we might become His righteousness He humbled himself And carried the cross Love so amazing Love so amazing Jesus Messiah going out. Of course, I want to just say this as you go out, 
like in times past, there are times when we have, uh, I call it bursting at the seams with goods and commodities. We have a whole truckload that I'd like to load in your vehicles at the end of this day and have you take home. So if you have a need, come back at the garage area. We won't open the garage. We're only going to be working out of the truck today, but come. There's plenty for all, and we want you to come and receive today. Amen? We'll be back there to share and help you. Um, let's be courteous to one another. Let's be patient with one another. And let's bless one another. So I encourage you, don't leave today without coming through there and following the instructions and the directions. There is going to be a sheet of paper. You've been familiar with it. We just need you to fill that out. It doesn't require a whole lot. It allows us to be accountable as to what we're doing and how much that we're distributing. But God is causing our cup to run over. Ms. Pat was trying to share yesterday in the leadership meeting and we realized that we are not just supplying nearly 5,000 people a month, we are supplying other ministries, other food banks. Almost a dozen of them come here to receive because we're getting so much. If our donor were had that way, we would be there every day, seven days a week, picking up. That's the blessing of God. That really is the blessing of God. And we thank God for it, but we know that we have to have proper boundaries as well. This is the Sabbath day, and we've learned how to just rest in Christ. But don't leave the day without getting your blessing. Amen? Now unto him that is able to keep us and to present us faultless before the throne of his grace. To our God, who blesses us when we get up, who blesses us when we navigate through the day, who watches over us when we slumber and sleep at night. To our God be all of the glory, all of the honor, all of the praise, now and forevermore. May we praise him as King of kings and Lord of lords. In Jesus' precious name, amen. Amen. God bless. Thanks again for joining us today. Here at Rainbow Family, our mission is to love God, love people, and change the world. If you would like to partner with us in any way, we encourage you to visit our website at rainbowfamilychristian.org.